0: What well, is good to be with you guys. It's been a, been a little while since I've had the opportunity uh, to, to teach. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Lee, and I'm one of the assistant pastors uh, here on staff at Meadowbrook. And it's just an exciting and humbling thing to be a part of. Uh, just an amazing team, amazing staff, amazing uh, core of volunteers, and uh, attenders, members, first time, every person who makes up Meadowbrook. It's such a beautiful, growing family, and I love to see what God is doing in and through Meadowbrook Church. Um, We're in the the middle of a series called Believe, and that's our midweek series for 2014. And uh, we're kind of walking through some core doctrinal issues, some things that are fundamental to our faith, and kind of taking some time to really uh, massage some things theologically to make sure that we have a proper understanding of what it is that we believe. And so we kind of started the year off. Uh, focusing on Scripture, talking about the inspiration of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, working through those things. And then the last few weeks, we've kind of focused more on the attributes of God. Well, tonight we're going to bring it back um, to the topic of Scripture, and I'm going to be walking through what is called the doctrine, uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of scripture. Now we're going to get into that in a moment. I first wanted to greet you on behalf of Pastor Tim. How many of y'all were here for our Palm Sunday services last week? Amen. It was an amazing time and and God's doing some amazing things. Well, Palm Sunday, Holy Week, Good Friday, Easter, that's kind of a, a big deal for the Christian faith and uh, so our pastor wants to come out swinging and so he is ramping up for this weekend but he wanted me to uh, send his greetings on his behalf to you guys let you know that he's going to be here this weekend and it's going to be a powerful powerful weekend you know this is kind of the super bowl of our faith this is kind of celebrating the most important event that ever happened and the eternal implications that that has for our lives uh, for the believer and for the unbeliever and so this is what I want to encourage you guys uh, to do. I know that you, you guys are the faithful. You're the Wednesday night crew. You're going to be here for Easter services. But the first thing I want is this. I, I want to encourage you guys to come expectant. To, to not just be like, oh yeah, it's going to be great. It's Easter. I love Meadowbrook. Pastor Tim's going to bring it. But no, come expectant. Really lean in. Push. Push. We believe in that God is going to do amazing things, that we're going to see record numbers, that we're going to see people coming to Jesus. And and hear me, numbers is not just about growth. It's not just about, you know, being able to say a large number. I believe every number represents a face and a name. And and those faces and names have stories. And those stories speak of what God is doing in those lives. And so we're just believing for God to flood this place. So we need you guys expecting and praying and inviting. We need you to be bringers. We need you to, uh, when you're leaving tonight, grab some of our Easter invites and get those into the hands of loved ones, coworkers, family, friends, whoever you can, neighbors. We just want to spread the word and, and put that, um, that invitation out there because our pastors talked about this. We played a, a video this past weekend that uh, pointed to some recent statistics that show that most people who've never stepped foot in a church, the number one reason is because they've never been invited. And that around 82% of those people who haven't been invited are totally willing if someone would just invite them. I I don't know if it's intimidation or if it's guilt or or whatever it is, but if someone just lovingly stepped across and not in a weird way, not in a pressuring way, stepped out and invited them to church, that could make the difference in their life. So I want to encourage y'all to do that. Grab those invite cards if you're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, spread the word. Just help us to become expectant and excited for what I believe is going to be a monumental Easter celebration. Uh, not just at Meadowbrook, all over the county, all over the city, of the state, the world. God is going to be moving in some churches and, and this is, we're celebrating the core of what our faith is all about. Amen. Amen. And, and just one more little reminder to you guys, We have our regular Sunday morning services, but we also have a 6 p.m. service. And we're kind of very strategic about that because what we want to do is create room uh, create room for the the people who don't normally come to church. So odds are they're going to be coming to those uh, two later services on Sunday. So be prayerful about considering maybe if you would come to the early service on Sunday or that Saturday evening service, all right? All right, well, we're going to get into our topic for tonight, the series of Believe. Kind of the question that our pastor has posed is... Okay, a lot of people claim to be believers, but do we know fully what it is that we believe? And even if you think you have a good grasp on what it is that you believe, are you able to fully articulate what it is that you believe? Um, last year in our, in our midweek series called Real Life, we took a couple weeks and we talked on the uh, subject of apologetics. And if you're unfamiliar with apologetics, it's really, uh, simply put, it's a defense of the Christian faith. Now that's not a defense to say like it's just one more thing for us to argue with someone about. But really it's, it's knowing that the world uh, doesn't really like what, what the Christian faith stands for. There's people who want to point out that uh, the flaws that they can find about our faith or, or about our God. And so it's important that if we're going to live our life by this, that we know that we can give reason for the hope that is within. That we can articulate what it is that we believe And so that's really kind of what we're doing. This is kind of like apologetics. It's kind of like Theology 101, um, that we're just taking some extra time to to fine-tune these things and comb through scripture and through doctrine to make sure we've got clarity on that. Kind of a funny story. Uh, First of all, I I attended college at the same college uh, with Pastor Jordan, so I can attest to his vehicle issues. And it was like that all through college, and it is still running. So... Uh, And actually, he's married now, he's got an amazing wife, but there was the semester that him and I roomed together, there was a a period there where I almost felt like he was speed dating. (laughs) I think he stepped out, but I would say that if he's in here. Not really, but he went on a handful of dates, uh, just study sessions, I guess, but I I guess what I'm saying is God really is faithful because the car didn't stop the ladies from coming. (laughs) Sorry, Jordan, wherever you're at right now. That has nothing to do with, with what I'm talking about. But in, in college, um, I, I, I did my uh, prerequisites and everything. I did them right here at CF. I went to junior college. So then I transferred to Southeastern down in Lakeland. And uh, so I had a handful of religion classes. A handful of, uh, of classes on, on the faith. And uh, my first semester, my sister and I got home for Christmas break. And... Uh, we, she, she was always a straight-A student, Elise, and then I was an AB student, and I remember coming home, and I would got my grades, and I wasn't too happy with, with what I saw, and, uh, but this wasn't like elementary school, where you bring your report card, and give it to your parents, and they got to sign it, you know, I had my grades, and I'd, if dad asked, then I'd bring them up, but I wasn't going to, So we're at dinner, first night home, and he asks Elise, hey, did you get your grades back? She goes, yeah. And he goes, "Uh, what'd you get? She goes, straight A's. And he's like, oh, I'm so proud of you. I knew you could do it. And uh, I'm just kind of quiet. He goes, Lee, have you got yours back? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got them back. He goes, well, what'd you get? I said, I got straight A's. And he goes, awesome. I said, and two B's. He goes, okay, good. And I said, and a C (laughs) minus. And you know, for some of you, maybe that's great, but... (laughs) For me, I, I, that, that wasn't too great, especially uh, when he said, well, what class did you get a C- minus in? That's so not like you. I, I kind of sheepishly looked down and said, uh, the life of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and so, to my defense, the life of Christ, you know, I thought, it's, it's Jesus. I mean, it's the Gospels, it's, you know, I know this stuff. It was the earliest class of my five classes I was taking, and there was no attendance policy. And so I thought, you know what? I don't always have to go, I'll, you know, I'll pop in, I'll do some of the reading. And I didn't really apply myself thinking that I would just whiz through this because it was about Jesus. Well, when your professor only gives you two opportunities uh, for a grade, two tests, if you bomb the first one, you have no choice but to ace the next one and then meet in the middle for that C minus. So that was my story on that. But, but the point is, we can't just uh, glide through and, and, and think that, oh yeah, I got that, it's Jesus, I, I know it. It's important that we're continually learning. And being, and being able to further understand and articulate what it is that we believe. Uh, because if something's not in us, if it's not fully in here, if it's not digested and, and simmering, it's not going to get much further. If it's not real to us or, or we fully understand it, it's not going to go much farther beyond us. Let me take you on another story. When I, when I was young, uh, we had this mantle in front of our fireplace. It was like two and a half feet off the ground. So it was like the perfect stage for kids. And so we would put on shows for my parents. We'd sing, we'd dance, we'd act, we'd do all these things. Well, there was a, a period where I was just fascinated with magic. And, and I wanted to be a magician. So for one Christmas, I got this magic set... And it came with everything you needed for the trick. It came with a, a little magician's hat and a wand and a little handkerchief and a string and a coin and all these miscellaneous things. Then it came with a manual that walked you through step by step each of the tricks. And then it came with maybe you all have heard of these, a video cassette. <laughs> video cassette. You never see those anymore. And and the magician walked you through step by step how to do these tricks. And so I was so excited to take the stage and get out there and, and show my magic that I kind of skimmed through the video, glanced over the manual and think, you know what? I got this, it makes sense. It, you know, he, he pulled it off, I see what he's doing, I, I can do that. So I'd go out there and, I, and usually this is always how I'd go. I'd take the stage, I wouldn't be but just barely into the trick and I'd miss a crucial step or I'd forget something and I'd go blank. And usually it ended up with me storming out of the room and dad would have to come back in and say, hey buddy, it's okay, go brush up on it and then come out and try it again. Now, he was gracious enough to do that, but as I got thinking about this story recently, I don't know that I ever want to be in a situation with my faith where I have the opportunity to speak into someone's life, or an unbeliever has questions, and, you know, well, I've heard the pastor talk about it, I listen to the podcast, or I read my Bible every now and then, I got this, and then in the moment, you blank. You blank. I don't want that to be me because I, I, I don't think that someone would be so merciful as my dad to say, you know what, go back, read your Bible a little more, listen to that teaching again, and then come back and try to re-witness to me, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just trying to reinforce that point, if, if something's not in you, it's not going to go much further. So we're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture tonight, the sufficiency of Scripture. And, and when living our lives as believers, we've got to be ready, we have to, I heard this quote, Live as if we're one word away from a life-changing encounter every moment of your life. That the next word, the next conversation, the next encounter could be life-changing for someone. And are we ready? We live in this fast food nation, this Netflix culture where we want everything on demand. And by the time you have the new iPhone, the next one is out. You know, everything's progressing and so nothing's ever really enough. And sadly, that's kind of crept into the faith where people will find themselves focusing on whatever the new wave is, the new trend in the church, whatever, you know, chasing miracles, or, or what, whatever it is people are focusing on. And they forget the core of what we base our life on, that the, the, the truth, the, the life is really in the scriptures. And, 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 but sometimes we act like that's not enough, that there's something else, some new move, and that's what I need to go after. And we neglect that daily commitment to grow in our knowledge of Christ and of his word. And so talking about sufficiency of scripture, this topic is simple, but it's pretty dense. It's pretty uh, well packed. And so I'm gonna try to stick close to my notes tonight and kind of instruct you guys on this. The battle cry of the early reformers was this Latin phrase, sola scriptura, which meant only scripture. Sola scriptura. It meant only scripture, and basically saying that God has revealed in Scripture all that He wants us to know and all that He wants us to do. And that we have basically a text or a manual that's perfect and it's complete. It doesn't need our twist or our flavor or our certain emphasis. It doesn't need augmentation. It's complete how it is. How many of y'all, maybe you have a, a family recipe that's gone down through the generations? Uh, a, a favorite dish that... Uh, you don't even remember when it, when it started, but somehow your family ended up with that little index card that's tattered and worn, or maybe it's even a Xerox copy of it. It's been passed down, and you know better than to augment that recipe. You're not going to withhold a certain spice or, or, or add something special to, to twist it up. You know, okay, the, the dish is fine how it is. It stood the test of time. And for it to be everything that it can be when we go to eat it, it's important that we make it the way the card says it, okay? So the same is true with Scripture. It doesn't need us to augment it or, or, or change it to make it complete or right. God has given us a perfect uh, guide and a perfect text for us to live our lives by. If you have your Bible, I want you to go with me to 2 Peter. We're going to look at chapter 1 and verses 3 through 5. Now I'm reading from the ESV, and these are going to be on the screen If you don't have a Bible or if you want to follow along there, it says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue With knowledge. Now, kind of what I take out of this is that God's power has given us uh, everything that we need for life and godliness. In him, we have everything we need to live a, a godly life here on this earth. Now, it says that through our knowledge of him, we have those things. And then at the end there, it says to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So we need to supplement with knowledge. I look at that as uh, if you're going to grow in knowledge, if you're going to know something, then you've kind of got to be committed to studying it. You've got to kind of always be committed to that further pursuit of understanding. So we've got everything we need, but we need to continually supplement our faith with knowledge. I want to look at Luke Luke 2.46. It says after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the leaders, listening to them, and asking them questions. Now, who did they find in the temple Jesus yeah, he 's a boy, and his parents are looking for him and when they eventually find him, he 's in the temple, asking questions, pondering, learning and usually i I, I hear the story a lot of times told as if this boy wonder was in the in the temple, and he's and he's telling them all how how it is, and he's stumping all the leaders, and and you know I'm sure Jesus probably uh, stumped them, um, but that's not really what it's saying here. It's, I think it's kind of clear that he was the student. It's clear that he was he was asking questions. He was he was trying to uh, grow in his knowledge of something. He was the student at this point. Let's fast forward some twenty something years. So he when he's Active in his ministry, and he's going from town to town, and he's he's healing the sick, and he's teaching, and he's doing life with people, and his ministry is changing um, people's lives, and and it's making the religious leaders upset. And so Jesus takes some time, and he goes to the desert, and he's going to fast, and he's going to spend time with his father. And in that time, if you know the story, he's he encounters Satan on several occasions. And the the devil tempts him. And what he uses really to tempt him with is scripture. He tries to stump him with scripture. And the way Jesus really withstands that is through scripture. And I would say, well, how did Jesus know that scripture? And you say, well, simple. He's God. He was perfect, you know. He he put on flesh, but he was still God. And yes, while he was perfect and he lived a perfect life and he was uh, the, the most wise person to ever walk the earth, the most brilliant teacher... Jesus didn't just know scripture because he was God, but he knew scripture because he spent his life growing in knowledge. He spent his life studying. He spent his life uh, not just as a teacher and a leader, but also as a student and as a son. And so my question is this, if Jesus studied the scriptures and if Jesus made himself a student, what makes us exempt from studying the scriptures? If God himself in flesh come to earth to live as a man and die for us, it's the great plan it's the gospel message. If, if that central figure still lo- uh, grew in his knowledge and understanding and application of the scriptures, what makes us exempt? Amen. We need to be striving to do everything we can to get everything out of scripture. Let's move on. I want to expand a, a little bit on this word sufficiency. And, and I find significant support of this doctrine in Second Timothy 3. I'm going to look at verses 15 through 17. Says how from, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So not only do the sacred writings make us wise for salvation and uh, equip us, To be profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. But it says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. From what? The sacred writings, the scripture, the holy text. Everything we need is in that. And so in other words, knowing God and how to do what God expects is found in the Bible. So often we we make it so hard and we're looking for our answers somewhere else. But the first place he's going to speak to us is through what he's revealed. The answers we, we seek about God and about theology and about ethics and about life, are the, the guideline for that, the, the thing that we judge all other knowledge by is the word of God. Amen. Now this is something I want you to key on, key in on with me and I, I'll repeat it for you. Sufficiency suggests what is exactly enough, okay? Sufficiency means what is exactly enough, but it does not mean that the Bible is exhaustive. And by exhaustive, what I mean is that it shows everything that God knows. Okay? So sufficiency is what is exactly enough. It does not mean that the Bible is exa- exhaustive. So here's what I'm saying. God has not revealed to us everything that he knows. He's not revealed to us everything that we want to know. But he has revealed everything that he wants us to know. All right? All right? Does that hurt your head a little? Let's, let's say it again because they're all so close. God has not revealed to us everything that he knows. He's not revealed to us everything that we want to know. But in scripture, he has revealed everything that he wants us to know. Everything that he believes we need to know, he's revealed that. Okay, we need to, we need to rest in that. So many times we, we get stumped or tripped up or, or, or questioned or puzzled by why did this happen? Or why won't God just show me this? Or why did that person have to die? Or why did I lose this? This doesn't make sense. And I can't say that I have all those answers. I can't stand up, in here, stand up here and give you the reasons for all those things because I know that there, there's the revealed part of God's will and then there's the part that's concealed. There's some things we're only ever going to understand once we arrive when all is said and done. But I can rest assured in the fact that here on earth that he's given me what I need to know. He's given you what you need to know and what you need to live this life pleasing to him. It's kind of like a a good father, okay? You know, I've talked about my boy Gavin before, and he's almost four years old. And if something difficult was going on in our family's life, he, you know, he's sharp. So he'll pick up on moods, he'll pick up on things. And so he's aware that something's going on. And so I'm sure you've walked through this with your children. Maybe, Maybe your child wants to know everything that's going on. But as a loving, protective father or mother, what you're going to do is you're not going to reveal everything you know about the situation. You're not going to reveal to them everything they may be asking or they want to know. But you have discernment and you, in an effort to guard them, you give them what you believe they need to know. And that's what our Father has done for us. He's protecting us. He gives us life. He gives us what we need and we just need to stop troubling ourselves and making everything complex by laying awake saying, oh, I need all the answers and just trust that what he wants us to know, he's revealed. Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's go a little further. God is not giving new revelation through other writings, traditions, or visions. Some of you might, may be like, what? <laughs> let, me, let me make sure you understand that. Everything he's revealed... It's already there. It's in Scripture, okay? Now, there may be something that is fresh to us. It's fresh revelation. We see it with new eyes or new understanding or in a new way that it makes sense. And it really cuts deep. And we're like, okay, I get that. And it's fresh to us. But I, I honestly believe that God is not giving a new word to someone through a writing or a tradition or a vision. And if he is giving a word to man, then the standard for that is Scripture. No vision, no writing, no tradition is equal to Scripture. It is all subject to Scripture. And if it's from God, Scripture will confirm it. If someone comes up to your life and say, I have a word for you, thus saith the Lord, and it's some off-the-wall thing, the first place you need to go is back to your Bible. And if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, or if it doesn't align with His promises, maybe it's not from God. Scripture is, is the thing that everything else is subject to, and that's what we have to judge by. Now, God does speak through men and, and give new books and writings and teachings and visions and traditions and, and, and uh, ways to worship. And those things could be fresh revelation, but it's not new and it's all subject to scripture. I hope that, I hope that doesn't ruffle too many feathers and that, that makes sense to you. Let's go and look at this. The Bible does not necessarily tell us everything we need to live obediently in this world. And no, I'm not contradicting what I just said a minute ago. What I'm trying to tell you is that culture is ever shifting. Culture is ever changing. And so there's some things that you may want a black and white answer. And the Bible doesn't necessarily explain that in black and white or tell you exactly what to do. For instance, uh, science is ever advancing, and while the Bible gives us a standard to judge by and to understand creation and the creator and, and nature and how the earth was formed, um, there's certain advancements that, are, that uh, men come across, and so if we want to be up to date on science and certain things, then we've got to study nature. Uh, the Bible talks to you about how to love your spouse and how to nurture and to cultivate and how to become one. But it doesn't tell you everything you need to know about your individual spouse. So if you want to... Um love and walk out life in a way that's pleasing to God with your spouse, sometimes that's hard. So guess what? You've also got to invest in getting to know your spouse and realize that you're not ever going to be able to fully decode them. But you do have a standard by which to, even if, you know, what your wife's doing doesn't make sense or what your husband's doing is driving you up the wall, you can say, you know what? I'm going to follow uh, what the Bible says about loving my spouse and be committed to my spouse that we will walk through this and learn each other together, Okay. Maybe it's sports. The Bible doesn't tell you all the rules about golf and how to play the game, so you might want to study up on the rules. Maybe it's uh, economics. Sure, the Bible can give us some economic principles and talk about stewardship and talk about rendering unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. The Bible talks about money, but in our economic times, it's important that we uh, are kind of paying attention. It's important that we observe and understand the world of business. All right, so what I'm saying is the Bible really, uh, while it doesn't say everything in black and white in terms of our culture, it is the perfect standard for judging or discerning the things in our earth. That's right. And discerning all other knowledge and realizing again that all knowledge stands under the Bible even when it serves the Bible. i kind of show you what I mean by that. The English language serves the Bible by making it accessible to readers of English. Okay, the Bible is not originally written in English. But the English language serves the Bible by making it accessible to us. Okay, so that's awesome. That's a way that it serves the Bible. Even so, the English word yes cannot translate the Greek word for no. The Bible is sufficient to prevent that misuse. See what I'm saying? The language itself serves... The Bible, but the Bible is strong enough and sufficient enough to prevent that misuse or that mistranslation. Maybe let me kind of put some flesh and bones on, on this to help you understand. Um, like I said, I'm an assistant pastor here at Meadowbrook, and so I'm, I'm a part of a, a team of pastors, uh, a group of amazing uh, men and women, and it's, it's a cool thing to be a part of what God's doing here. And really, our credentials... Um, you know, a, a lot of us have different educational backgrounds and qualifications, but our covering and really our endorsement, rather, uh, to minister in the context of this church, our ordination comes from Meadowbrook Church, okay? So Meadowbrook Church is, is the covering, and even though my role or, or Pastor Heron's role or Pastor Ron's role or any of our pastors, our role is to help serve uh the people of this church, to help fulfill the vision that God has given our senior pastor. And so while we were in a a role to serve that overall covering, if we were to step out and then start teaching doctrine that was wrong from the message of the house, or if we were to step out and Pastor John Bullington was to say, I'm the lead pastor of Meadowbrook Church. No, our covering is sufficient enough to prevent that misuse, and we quickly would not probably be a pastor here anymore. See what I'm saying? Something can serve something, but, but, but Scripture really is able, it's sufficient enough to prevent a misuse. I hope, I hope that's kind of making sense for you. Scripture really is the ultimate standard, judge, guide, corrector. All right, let's move on. I want to talk about something very important, not customizing your Bible. And I'm not talking about highlighting certain things or making notes that help you study. That's not what I mean. But What I mean is that we don't, again, this goes back to augmentation, that we don't just camp out on certain parts and act like that's all there is there. Or that we apply this part, but not this part. Because, eh, you know, I don't think God was so serious about that. So I'm not going to apply that part to my life. And you may think that's ludicrous, but I, I I talk to people all the time who just... It's like, do you read the full Bible? Did, did you just skip over how clear God was on that? And some people think it's like kind of like a buffet. Like a la carte, pick and choose... I'll custom make this thing, and either we got to take it for all that it is, or, or not at all. And so we can't customize our Bible. There's several passages that are very clear about this, and I want to move through these. Deuteronomy 4.2 says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord God that I command you. Very clear. Don't add to it. Don't take from it. Proverbs thirty verses five through six says every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words, lest He rebuke you and you be found a liar. I know I don't want to be found a liar or to be rebuked by God. So guess what? Don't mess with His scriptures. <laughs> Revelations twenty two eighteen through nineteen says this, and this gets a little more severe. I warn everyone who, has the, who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. So guess what? That's three instances right there. You could do further study and find more. But we need to not customize our Bible. If God said it, he meant it. It applied then, it applies now, it's timeless, it's perfect, it's sufficient. Don't mess with the Scriptures. <laughs> Alright, everyone got it. We need to emphasize what Scripture emphasizes. A lot of times, this, this kind of goes hand in hand with customizing your Bible. Um, so many people place importance on things that God doesn't. And by that I mean, maybe, maybe you've got that friend who they found one gray area of Scripture... And rather than study it out or look at it in context, they then resort to Google and they find all these uh, conspiracy theories written by man that don't line up with scripture that expand on this gray area of the Bible. And the next thing you know, they've made their whole agenda, this copy and paste secondhand theology that makes no sense and really doesn't enforce anything that the original text was enforcing. So don't place importance on the things that God doesn't. Too many people do that. And in doing so, it's almost as if we're so bold or so daring to say that God missed the point of his own writings or that somehow we think we see the big picture more clearly than God does. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He inspired and, and gave these words to man. And so I think he knows the importance and the point of his writing. Another thing that's important when it comes to understanding the sufficiency of Scripture, is that we must learn to distinguish the law and the gospel as the two main words of Scripture. The law and the gospel. Now, I'm not just talking about Old Testament, New Testament, but I'm talking about those are the two key words that play into the whole grand story that weaves through Scripture of what Jesus came to do and how, how that affects our life. John Calvin said this. He said, the gospel is the message... The salvation-bringing proclamation concerning Christ that he was sent by God the Father to procure eternal life. The law is contained in precepts. It threatens, it burdens, it promises no goodwill. But the gospel acts without threats. It does not drive one by precepts, but rather it teaches us about the supreme goodwill of God towards us. So the law and the gospel. Everything falls under either one of these, both of which key components of Scripture's sole purpose, which is to reveal God's plan of redemption. All right? Now, I kind of want to wrap with this last passage I want to look at. And really, this is what I believe to be one of the most monumental and concise statements on the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, this is an excerpt that I read from uh, John MacArthur. And whether you believe with everything... Uh, that, that he says or, or, or not. This is very concise, very clear, and really just brings this scripture to life and helps enforce this doctrine of sufficiency. So I'm going to read uh, the passage to you and then we're going to break it down verse by verse and pull out some key words and I want to show you how sufficient and life-giving and full scripture is for us. So it's Psalms 19, verses 7 through 9, and it says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now just stand alone. That's a very encouraging piece of scripture. But now I want to look at it verse by verse and pull out some key words Show you some things. So, verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Perfect here is Hebrew meaning complete or sufficient. Sure here refers to what is unwavering, that Scripture is worthy to be trusted, a foundation upon which to build your life. Simple in this passage comes from the Hebrew expression open door. Meaning that even the most naive person can be made wise through God's word. That's incredible. Verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So that word right, rather than indicating what is right as opposed to wrong. So often we think of, well, right is just the opposite of wrong. Well, here what it means is not just the opposite of wrong, but it's the Hebrew word translated right meaning that it has the sense of showing the true path. What is right has to do with the true path and with truth. Joy in the, uh rejoicing the heart. The word joy is found in learning to obey God's counsel. We find joy when we follow and learn and obey God's counsel. The word pure, it says the commandment of the Lord is pure. Pure here refers to that which is clear or lucid, meaning that scripture is not confusing and scripture is not puzzling. Then it ends, it says, enlightening the eyes. That word enlightening means something that brings understanding to ignorance. Light to darkness. Order to confusion. Again, so amazing. Let's look at verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. That word clean refers to the absence of impurity or imperfection. The absence of sin Or corruption. Scripture is perfect. It is pure. It is not corrupt. Enduring forever means that any change would only introduce imperfection. If Scripture was written by an omniscient, all knowing Spirit of God who is infinitely wiser than us all, Any change would only introduce imperfection. It's perfect just the way it is. It is enduring forever. It's like that recipe I talked about, but way before that, and it'll go way on. Once your little index card recipe is is finally uh, so faded you can't read the ingredients, guess what? The word of the Lord still endures forever. Amen. And the last part, true and righteous altogether, means that Scripture is God's standard for judging our lives. And when we accept this truth, it will produce within us righteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, if you want a copy of that, I think maybe we'll actually make that available online so that there is uh, you can actually look at those words and, and be able to... I don't know if you were taking notes, if you could keep up with that, but um, it's just such a beautiful and robust piece of Scripture right there in just three verses that uh, just really point to the sufficiency and the perfection of Scripture. So guess what? In, in, in recapping tonight, Scripture alone is where we need to search for God's words to us. Yes, God will send a laborer across your path that he may speak through. God speaks through his children all the time. He may speak to you through a situation or through nature or or something else or through a book. But again, Scripture's our guide. That's our source. That's what we judge everything else by. That is the number one place that God is going to speak to you. And if he has considered that as enough for us, then guess what? We need to accept that as enough for us. We need to rejoice in that revelation and realize that God wouldn't skimp on us. He wouldn't leave us on on earth without uh, everything we needed in our survival kit. He wouldn't leave us ill-equipped or lacking the tools that we need to live a righteous and godly life. Everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us through the power of his Spirit. We need to grow in that knowledge, grow in what we believe that we know what we believe, that we can articulate what we believe. And guess what? We believe in the most sufficient, perfect, complete, enduring, timeless word that has ever been written. God will not expect us to find our way through life through any other method. Take scripture for what it is. And like I said earlier, he's a loving father. He may not have showed you everything that he knows. He may not have given us everything we want to know but he has given us everything that he wants us to know. Amen. Did y'all get anything at all out of this tonight?